When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Well, it's the Manners and Manners episode of Cricket Unfiltered. Yes, I am joined by esteemed South African cricket journalist and host of a very good podcast, the following on show, Neil Manthorpe. Neil, welcome to Cricket Unfiltered. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Manners. Pretty chilly, as you can see. Yeah, you're looking all rugged up there in the Cape in South Africa, a long way from the carnage in England as the rain uh, ruined the fourth test. How how are you doing? Good. I mean, I've uh, it's been a quiet time, and I've um, spent most of it watching the Ashes. I mean, I've been absolutely riveted. I think there's so many good storylines and so many uh, good positive narratives. Um, uh, you know, a few controversies along the way, but then it wouldn't be the Ashes without those. Yeah. What have you What have you found the series? What have you fa- sort of observed? Because the two fan bases, because you're a neutral, you probably kept a bit more sane. But you know, the English supporters have infuriated me. This Ashes campaign have driven me up the wall. You know, what's it like, sort of sitting on the sideline and watching these two fan bases just go at each other? <laughs> it's been fascinating. I've loved it, and I've uh, I've enjoyed your frustration as well. <laughs> you haven't kept it under wraps, have you? Um, you know, I, I, there are so many different things. One thing that uh, intrigues me enormously is the criticism that uh, Pat Cummins has come in for recently. Mm. I think his captaincy has been tremendous, um, and and you know. I really enjoyed the way Australia went about countering Basball in the first two test matches. I'm not a big boxing fan at all, so I don't know why I always use boxing analogies, but it did it just seemed to me that Australia drew England's punches, you know, like Muhammad Ali, they they stayed back on the ropes and ducked and bobbed and weaved and 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 swayed and and avoid avoided the punches and England almost punched themselves out and I think that contributed to them losing particularly at Edgebaston um, and and so you know to 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 read and and hear some former Australian players saying that uh, Cummins has been outsmarted and and that he should resign and that you can't captain the team as a fast bowler has been really um, peculiar. I just can't get my head around that. I mean, you know, he's retained the ashes. That was objective number one. And he's still got a chance to become the first captain to win an Ashes series in England since 2001. I think he's done superbly. And there's more to captaincy, as you know, particularly of captaining Australia, uh, than just on the field. I think he's been an absolutely um, perfect ambassador for the game and for test cricket. As far as the fans are concerned, it's been, <laughs> it's been, it's been really interesting. I mean, you know, Alex Carey, by all accounts, is quite un-Australian in terms of uh, the, the decency that um, he's lovely. He, he plays the game with. He's, he's very a, sweet. He just seems to be... 
Such a fantastic guy. Yeah, exactly. And, and I woke him up one day. Absolutely I, nothing wrong. Yeah, I had to call him one day for, a, and we got the time wrong and I woke him up and most cricketers would tell you to F off. And he was like, oh, no, man, I'll do it. Don't worry. Just give me one sec. And he was into it. So, yeah, he's a lovely guy. And, I, yeah, I don't think he did anything wrong. No, in fact, quite the opposite. Um, you know, he's tactically aware and astute and it's uh, something that uh, he'd obviously thought about well beforehand. And there's uh, so many, so many keys to that that stumping dismissal. The most important one for me being that he threw the ball immediately, mm. um, and you know it was it was it was absolutely entirely legitimate. And as you said, you know, without a kind of vested interest in in either camp, um, to see the outrage. Uh, coming from the England supporters and, and players, I found um, intriguing. I, Stuart Broad came up with an interesting theory in his column in the Mail um, in which he said the difference between Johnny Bairstow trying to stump Marnus Labuschagne on the first day was that Labuschagne was batting out of his crease and therefore uh, it was an, he was gaining an unfair advantage whereas Johnny Bairstow wasn't attempting to gain any unfair advantage. <laughs> I thought clutching, as far as straws to be clutched at go, that was uh, that was an interesting one. Uh, incredible. And the, the English fans have had a, a strange series because, you know, they, they sort of claimed that they won the first test, even though I swear I saw Pat Cummins hit the ball for four <laughs> and run off celebrating. And then they outraged about a legitimate stumping. And now at the end of the fourth test, it's like they've never seen a match in England rained out before. You know, that you know Joe Root was suggesting England plays till 10 p.m. The fans are saying this is unfair. But, I mean, this is cricket. It's nothing new. <laughs> Yeah, well, exactly. Um, you know, having said all of that, and all this kind of moral outrage has been mildly amusing to me, England have played some really, really good cricket. And just as I thought Australia did well to avoid those England punches, um, they started landing, didn't they, in the, mm. in the third and, and particularly in the fourth Test match. And Australia were like on the ropes but not in control on the ropes and the criticism that Cummins received I thought was a completely illegitimate I think you could have put any Australian captain you know what what would Ricky Ponting have done differently you know what would Alan Border have done different what would Steve War have done differently I mean England play a brand a brand of, of cricket and they have the ability to, to follow through on that brand of cricket that is on its day unstoppable uh, I don't, you know, it's it's unprecedented in in the Test game, um, and you know, Pat Cummins spoke quite honestly about it afterwards. The Johnny Bairstow assault, and you know, we tried different things. It's not, uh, it's not like Australia were just drifting. I mean, I I thought that they did have a plan. As it turned out, being wise after the event, their plans didn't work and weren't necessarily the right plans, but. They did have a plan. It wasn't just drifting. They weren't just running up and bowling half volleys, you know. Um, so, so for Stark, Hazelwood, and Cummins to go for over three hundred is credit, and you know, we give credit where it's due. Credit to England. Mm. Well, I mean, I think on Cummins' captaincy, I've got a lot to say about it, and I'm going to. But just on that day, those that second day in at Old Trafford, I did thought it was the worst combination of things. So England come hard. Our plans are switching all over the place. But on top of that, we didn't bowl well. I mean, you can't blame Cummins. Well, he didn't bowl well himself. But, you know, I don't think they had a good day with the ball. Nathan's Nathan Lyon isn't there. And they kind of panicked a bit. And there was there was no patience. They rotated through their plans too quickly. And uh, I think they sort of let the game get ahead of them. But it's not Menace, solely on Cummins. I, I, I agree. I agree with you. But do you know what? I mean... How many times have I sat in the commentary box and said, well, they can't keep doing the same thing? I mean, you know, they've got to try something different. And then when Australia tried two or three things different, we're saying, why don't they just stick to one plan and, you know, give it a chance? So, yeah, it's it's easy to be a, a wise after mm. the event, isn't it? You know, yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah, in retrospect, they did change plans too often. And they, and they you know, in retrospect, maybe they were better off sticking to one plan and, and 
and go, and doing that for longer. But um, nothing nothing was working. The runs just kept flowing, and frankly, at the time, I thought, okay, what? Well, yeah, try something different. You know, you've got nothing to lose. You're going at six or seven and over, and the trouble is, they carried on going at six or seven and over. I I, I just think. And also, you know, teams get tired mentally, emotionally Mm. during an Ashes series. We've seen that, not physically, because they had nine days off between the third and fourth test matches. And, you know, they all went off and did their own thing and had some time away from the game. And so, Jail wasn't happy with that. Should have been um, fresh and strong. Um, No, he wasn't, was he? (laughs) uh, um, Because one thing I do think, though, is, and and it's it's on the coaching staff, uh, I do think Australia have got a bit sucked in to playing at England's pace. And, you know, they've they've gone a lot of, you know, the short ball tactics being regularly used. But I think think we saw at the sort of right at the end of Lords and then even at Headingley, Australia started to sort of lose control with, with the ball because they sort of felt that they had to keep up with England. Like, they're going hard. We've got to knock them over. And I know I think sometimes I think we could have rethought some of our tactics between the third and fourth test because what would frustrate England is not being able to go as fast as they normally go. Like set an offside field, bowl eight stump and just go, if you want to, you know, if you want to hit it to the leg side, do it, but you're going to take a big risk. Well, that's exactly what I enjoyed so much about the first two chess matches. Imagine if Australia had got sucked into responding to England's approach in the first two test matches mm. and they didn't. And that's why I loved Usman Quadra so much. You know, it was almost, it was almost a, a reversion to a, a, a super defensive uh, approach or a super typical classical yeah. test match approach it's that, like that he adopted, and, and yeah, and and it was it was fantastic to see the clash of of those those two styles, both of which I think are, are legitimate, and and so so that's why Australia deserved to be two 0 up, you know, as uh, as. Dan Braddock in the Melbourne Age wrote, you know, first rule of the Ashes is don't go two nil down. <laughs> don't, don't don't blame two days of, of weather uh, at Old Trafford. You know, blame the fact that there was no sprinkling of common sense to to um, guide Basball in the right direction. You know the way Harry Brook and Ben Stokes batted for the last half an hour on day two at Old Trafford. That was sensible. It allowed Johnny Berso to do what he did. Uh, you know, it, it laid the the platform for this enormous 275-run lead, just a sprinkling of common sense. And if they had sprinkled a similar amount or, of common sense on the innings at Edgebaston, then I think that result would have been very different. And it's interesting as well, you know, Ben Stokes says, I will never question anything I do. I have no regrets. I'll, I'll never second guess uh, any, you know, second decision I make. Well, that sounds kind of weird because mm. surely learning from our mistakes is, is one of the great arts of leadership. So for him just to, well, he see, he talks about just, you know, plowing on almost unquestioningly with this fast forward approach. And that's that's clearly not what he does on the field. Um, he's just giving his players or trying to give his players the freedom to carry on doing that and feel that they have license to do that. But, you know, uh, that that last half an hour on the second day at Old Trafford was exactly what Test cricket will always need. You can't sprint. It's a marathon. You can't sprint a marathon. That's right. And look, I think England got way too caught up with their own hype, declaring at Edgbaston, going too hard at the, the second session, the, the sec, when they batted at Lords, when they were on top, when Lyon went off. I mean, um, but, but with Stokes, I mean, did you hear his press conference after the old Trafford test? I mean, he was so belligerent. He was asked whether, you know, he sort of had regrets about, you know, getting into a position where they were two nil down and he just said, no, um, you know, I don't think any of the English team has congratulated the Australians on retaining the ashes. Nor should they maybe save that for the fifth test. But, you know, it was, it was very much sour grapes from England and I get they're emotional, but I don't know, I think it's pretty poor performance. I mean, after Lords, they complained about the stumping. Now they're complaining about the weather. It's it's, it's a bit unedifying. <laughs> yeah, I, I, exactly. Um, but as you said, let's let's see how they are after the Oval. Mm. Um, they 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 have only themselves to blame. Using using Manchester weather as a reason for not regaining the Ashes is is 
verging on childish, isn't it? I mean, the, really, they've they've got themselves to blame. And you know, you you thought if you thought Ben Stokes's uh, press conference was a bit belligerent and unedifying, how about Johnny Bairstow? Yeah. <laughs> That that was that was really strange. I mean, you know, he he's a bit of a, a whiner and a whinger anyway. And the people talk about how he responds well to criticism and that brings out the best in his game. Well, at no point did he say in a particularly prickly, spiky press conference after his ninety nine not out that yes, I did drop eight catches and missed a very expensive stumping, and that could have changed the course of the Ashes. He spoke only about. What was, by all accounts, a very painful, lonely, and dark journey um, back to to fitness, having been told that he might not walk properly, ne- never mind um, play professional sport again. But when he did come back at the beginning of the season, before an Ashes Test had been played, he said, "I am batting seven for Yorkshire and keeping wicket." He put himself right there in in the front line. There was talk about whether he might be brought back in as an opener or, you know, lots of speculation about how they might fit him in. At no point did he say, um, I'll do whatever the team wants me to do and I'll do my best and I'm just happy to play for England. You know, he said, he he virtually said, if you want me, I'm keeping and batting at seven. And and so, so to then moan about the, the criticism and it was unfair and, you know, it's just a like minor miracle that uh, I'm even back playing test cricket and well fantastic johnny honestly really really well done and you know you're not the first sports person to come back from a career threatening injury honestly you, you know some people have been out for years um and have made similar comebacks so so well done on that but you did drop eight catches and you missed a very important stumping you looked rusty which is understandable because you yourself said johnny that you haven't kept properly for 3 years well Take responsibility. Stop being so prickly. Absolutely, I heard those comments, and you're right. It it wasn't. It was zero responsibility taken. And I have a lot of sympathy for him. Great story, but you know, maybe you came back too soon. Don't. And, and you know, our our um, friend Robert Craddock said on the radio this week that you can make a case that Johnny Bairstow has cost England the Ashes. You know, if you look at those chances in the first two tests, and then you add in the the, the stumping. Um, you know, he he may have cost England the ashes with his gloves. No wonder he was so prickly then, because <laughs> I think he probably knows that. You know, um, yeah, it's it's criticism. I, I, I so some of the the criticism was was probably unfair. You know, that a lot of people. Um, well, I don't know. Quite a few English people said that you know Ben folks. Uh, should have been playing, and he's the better keeper. You always uh, pick your your best keeper, um, but that wasn't. I don't. I didn't see that as being aimed at Johnny Bairstow. No, it wasn't like Bairstow. You're gate crashing someone else's party. Um, <laughs> so, so he was being criticised because he was dropping catches. That's right. Yeah. So bizarre. Exactly. Um, I, I want to ask you something about Pat Cummins because, you know, so I, I'm in the camp where I don't think it's fair for a fast bowler to be a test captain long term. I think it's it's too much. I think you're asking them to, you know, run in and bowl 20, 25 overs a day, win your games, and then also lead the ship. Now, Pat Cummins does a great job off the field, but I feel it's a lot. Do, do, you, do, do you see that? I mean, could you have imagined like Dale Stain, you know, when he's in the middle of a spell – you know, then going to mid on at halfway through and, you know, setting the field. Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. I've always believed in challenging convention. And, you know, it's like having a wicketkeeper bat in the top three. That's always been regarded as a short-term strategy and unmanageable in the long term and, and has been for you know a century. Kumar Sangakara did it for for a long, long time. Alex Stewart did it for England. Um and his record as a bat batter was um inferior when it, when he was keeping wicket and batting in the top three. Um and I think it comes down to the player, um honestly. No, I don't think Dale Stane could have captained South Africa, but he's a very <laughs> different personality True. to to Pat Cummins. I mean, Sean um, Pollock did it, I guess. Sean Pollock did it and and did it well. And uh, but 
anyway, Cummins hands over the captaincy, um, or Steve Smith takes it uh, whenever he's bowling. So I, I think it comes down to the player. I, I, I love it when players buck convention and tradition and all of those assumptions that we make about the game and have done for, you know, 140 years. So if I think Cummins has done a lot more good and right than he's done bad and wrong. And if he, if he wants to carry on with the captaincy and he's damn good at the job from what I saw firsthand um, in Australia at the beginning of the year, and from from afar, he's damn good at all of the other jobs apart from setting the field. I think we maybe <laughs> set too much store on setting the field, to be honest. Um, and and I think Andrew McDonald had a massive input into the tactics. I think he had a big big say in persuading Cummins and the Australians to drop their ego in those first two Test matches. And you know what? It comes down to cricketing decisions. If you drop a sweeper back in the first over of the Ashes, the media will make a huge song and dance about it. There'll be a huge hullabaloo. It's Australia take a backward step. But it, that's an ego thing. And ultimately, it's about runs and wickets. It's not mm. about ego. And the way Cummins led Australia in a particularly un-Australian manoeuvre, um, which was to take a backward step in order to win test matches and retain mm. the ashes, I thought was absolutely brilliant. And it's it's great. You know, you can have captains with with big egos and, and big personalities and big characters, and very often they make very good captains. But sometimes that personality trait gets in the way. And I, I, I happen to love the fact that Pat Cummins is able to control his ego for a fast bowler. And I love the way in which Australia have played their, their cricket under him. You know, him and Usman Khwaja are the living proof that you don't actually have to be nasty to be a winner. True. Yeah, I mean, I, lo- I really like Cummins. I just, you know, when I hear, you know, other f- international fast bowlers and even international wicket keepers talk about how hard it is, you know, doing both jobs and being captain, I just wonder if, you know, it's you know, it's okay at the beginning of a series, but, you know, we as I said, in that fourth test, it was a real struggle for him. And I wonder if, you know, his, bowl- you know, his bowling started to suffer in that, last match and we've never seen them bowl that badly before so it just makes me cautious um you know if how long he can do it for yeah no i i understand exactly what you're saying um so so let's say let's say at the end of uh, the ashes come in says we've retained the urn uh, I've, I've given it my best shot um we got turned over in india um but it's now time for someone else to take over. Mm. Let's say, he's, I, personally, I hope he, he doesn't do that because I, I think he's, as, as I said, um, I don't want to overplay the ambassadorial role, but I think he is fantastic <laughs> you really like him. For, uh, for Test Cricket. I, I do actually really like him and I like the way that the team have played within his image, in his kind of personality. But but Menas, so, so tell me now, who would you give the armband to? Alex Carey? No, Travis Head. Travis Head. Travis Head, he's a, he's been a state yeah. captain for a long time. I'd probably give it to Steve Smith for a couple of years, and I think you'd get the most out of him as a player if you gave him the captaincy. But I don't. What happens if Travis Head doesn't sort his problems out against a short ball and gets bounced out? <laughs> I, I mean, he's averaging fifty in Test cricket. I, I think you. No, no, no. I agree. I, I think you'd be it'd be a pretty safe bet to give him the captaincy. Um, as safe as anybody. Uh, and if you just wanted to do it for a short term, say next summer, Kawaja, if he plays on, he could lead the side beautifully through the summer. Queensland captain uh, playing against Pakistan, you know, that'd have a nice ring to it. Um, so there, there's plenty of options. Yeah. Do you know, um, like, like I said, if, if you've got a player who is your best keeper, and one of your best batters, and he wants to bat in the top three, he really wants to and really believes that he can make a success of it, then as a coach, are you going to say no? I probably wouldn't. No. Like, like 130 years of test cricket and, you know. There's... But that's because we follow convention. That's because, because we're afraid to challenge it. 
you know, and that's what I particularly admire about Brenda McCullum and Ben Stokes is that they are. So, yes, I, I know that that's the way we've done it for 130 years. I know. Um, but do we stop asking questions? You know, I mean, I, I just think if Pat Cummins really believes and he's, he's shown that he can do the job, I know that you. at what point do we make a cutoff? Is it like a year? Is it 10 test matches? Is it 12 test matches um, before we say, oh, no, no, you're a fast bowler and fast bowlers can't captain in test matches? Um, nobody does it forever. No, Apart I from mean, Graham Smith. He'd have to resign. But, yeah, I mean, it's more a philosophical thing. I've been talking about this since he was given the captaincy. All right, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back to talk about some decisive moments in this Ashes series. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm Menas. I'm joined by Manners, the esteemed South African cricket journalist. A couple of big moments in the test series. So... I think you can make a change. You, you can see that the team sort of, as you said, Australia started really well, but then England are kind of caught them now and they're probably neck and neck going into the oval. But I think two players that are probably key to that is Nathan Lyon hobbling off at Lords and depriving um, Australia of his great services, but then Mark Wood coming into the team for Headingley and having that bit of extra bit of pace that when you're bowling to Kawaja, who's 30, well, if you're bowling to anybody, I mean, when it's 150 clicks, you're going to be hopping around. And I think, you know, those two players have have been probably the decisive players in, in many ways in the series so far. I absolutely couldn't agree more. Um, it's interesting that, England's players don't necessarily subscribe, well, in fact, don't subscribe to the theory that uh, Lyon's absence was was critical because they just believe they can do everything and, and take on anybody and b- b- back themselves to uh, take on Nathan Lyon, um, which which they may may well have done. But I think it was it was obviously very very important, and um, it was it was. I found, I found it quite sad. Here, I'm going to be a little bit critical of Pat Cummins now, having sung his praises for the last 15 Murphy, minutes. Murphy, here we go. But, I, I, yeah, I thought that was sad. Um, mm. You know, I thought that surely Todd Murphy had done enough in India um, to – to. Sh- I know there were different conditions. In that, but but still, you know, you've picked him as your second spinner. Um, you, you've got to back him. Now, I understand – all of the reasons why they didn't actually pick him for Old Trafford. But, you know, to, to not use him at Headingley when the game was slipping away. I don't know whether you were up in the early hours mm, of the morning listening was. to Mark Taylor. Mark, Mark Taylor was was beseeching Cummins to use Murphy when there, when there were 130 required. Taylor saying, you've got to use your spinner now. You've got to bring your spinner. If you're going to use your spinner, you've got to use him now. There were 130 required. Well, as it turned out, he brought him on with 30 required, yeah, too which late. is way, way, way too late. Um, but- he doesn't look like he knows how to handle... Anyone else? Anyone else other than Nathan Lyon? He said, "Yeah, you know, no faith in Murphy there. Didn't pick him at Old Trafford on a pitch that turned. Where however long they played, I mean, that's going to knock his confidence around. I mean, if they pick him for the Oval, it'll take something to get yourself up." Yeah, it's a bit flat at the Oval as well. And <laughs> I mean, England have got a free hit now, haven't mm. they? You know, they can they can 
indulge themselves in baseball as much as they like. Um, and and so I think it would be a bit harsh. Can you imagine Todd Murphy bowling on the in the first innings at the Oval when it's skidding on and it's uh, quick and bouncy and no turn? Um, but we'll see. Uh, I, it's a line I, leaving. I don't necessarily... I, sorry, I was going to say, I don't necessarily subscribe to the idea that Murphy's confidence will take a knock. Um, I'd like to think that... Um, that Uncle Pat would have put his arm around him and uh, and you know it assured him that uh, he was the, it's not you, buddy. He was it's next me. in line. Uh, but the, <laughs> I, I guess um, you know the, the, I guess moreover though, it just shows how good line is and just the confidence it gives Cummins. No, okay, he's going to bowl twenty thirty overs from one end today, and the quicks will work around that. And even if England go after him, he'll probably get wickets. But but then Wood, on the other hand, I mean. You know, I guess that's that's the X factor for England. You know, they've got really good seamers. You know, Broad's been outstanding. Wokes has been terrific since coming into the side. But when you add Wood in to hurry up the Aussie batters, I think that's, you know, that's rattled the cages of the top order. Yeah. Well, Stokes was talking about the Ashes, has been talking about the Ashes for obviously, you know, six months at least before they began. And on the tour of New Zealand... Um, he was uh, he was he was asked more about the Ashes back in <laughs> when was it January February um, than he was about the actual New Zealand tour. And he said pace will be key. And he said we've we've got three guys capable of bowling ninety miles an hour or above: Jofra Archer, Ollie Stone, and Mark Wood. And as it turned out, only one of them was available, and only from the third test onwards. So. That you know, talking about uh, about players' injuries and and the like, that I think made a massive difference. Definitely. And given the margins, um, the the margins of, of victory and defeat, it's not hard to make a case that Jofra Archer would have made a, a significant difference. Uh, I, I would think. Oh, definitely. And I mean, they've lost their, their, their only spinner in England, it seems like, Jack Leach, um, considering they <laughs> had no replacements that were playing first-class cricket. Um, all right. Um, so a couple more things before I let you go. Now, so looking ahead to the Oval, you know, Travis had said the celebrations after Old Trafford were muted. And, and I really think, although this is an essentially dead rubber in terms of the ashes, that there's so much on this Oval test because England wins, it's two all, they can say, we're on top of you at Old Trafford, you know, we'll take our moral victory and they won't have the ashes, but they'll they'll have a moral victory, which um, they're, they're keen on those. But then on the other hand, if Australia picks themselves <laughs> up and wins at, at the Oval and goes home 3-1, well, you know, they have been the much better team. Like this fifth test means a lot. I couldn't agree more, uh, and but also, I, I I would think that as an Australian cricket lover, you not necessarily you, but Australian cricket lovers in general would find it unacceptable that they Australia have not won an Ashes series in England since two thousand and one. Mm, definitely, I mean, that's, that's it's extraordinary, isn't it? Um, and you know, this is a kind of a, a golden generation. I can't believe, by the way, we've got half an hour into this show and we haven't spoken once about David Warner. <laughs> He's um, on my list, actually, for because I was going to say, incredible. do you think at the Oval it'll be the end for Anderson and Warner? But just back on that question before we get on to those two old old, old codgers, um, <laughs> just, just on that record, I mean, I can't believe it. And that's why... Um, you know, I sort of I'm worried about the Oval because we really had a good chance in 2019 and Tim Payne lost his mind and for some reason bowled first at the, the fifth test. And, you know, that was a golden opportunity. I think Australia was the better side in 2019. It's not quite as clear in 2023. So, I don't know, I'm nervous because, you know, England are coming hard. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. Um, I, I, I've just... Uh, recorded our weekly show with uh, Steve Harmison and he has very strongly advocated that uh, Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad use the opportunity to retire um, and has you know said that, that that's what they deserve in front of 25,000 people at the Oval in an Ashes Test match, walk off with a victory um, and it, 
I, it's fascinating, you know, because Harmy, like most sportsmen, was lucky enough to know that his time was up. You know, he just woke up one morning and said, I, I, I'm done, mm. you know, and he knew and it was crystal clear. He didn't need anyone to tap him on the shoulder. Um, you know, he also went out at the Oval at the end of an Ashes series. So um, that's why he's he's kind of advocating it. But I, I, I was saying, Harmy, Jimmy Anderson might be 41, but he hasn't had any of those inklings. And Stuart Broad said at the end of Old Trafford that playing under McCullum and Stokes has been the best year of his life, and he's 36 years old. You know, the best year of his life. Um, so it must be very, very hard um, to, to give that away. Uh, and I, so I do, I do feel sorry for them. Um, but then, you know, there are no fairy tales in sport. I was particularly nervous when... David Warner mapped out the final six months of his international <laughs> career. Okay, well, I'd, I'd like to do this. I'd like to, I'd like to play the whole of the Ashes, and then you know I, the, World then Cup, the World Cup, and then and I, yep, and then I'll do that, and then I'll and then I'll graciously bow out on my home ground at the SCG, um, uh, the, <laughs> the New Year's Test match. I just thought, oh, David. And, uh, well, if only, yeah, if well, only. With Anderson abroad, I mean, they're in such different buckets at the moment. Anderson uh, throughout this series has looked pretty meek. He's, he just hasn't looked effective at all. The conditions haven't suited him, um, but you know, that doesn't matter. So, you know, he could be thinking about retirement, whereas I think Broad has his bowling as well as ever. He's He's been getting crucial wickets. He's, he's just an excellent bowler. And, you know, you talk about... Australia's dismal record in England. Well, I mean, Stuart Broad gives me nightmares because of that. Because you know, oh nine, we went to the Oval, the series level, Australia looking to win. Broad destroyed us, um, took five wickets. You know, twenty twenty fifteen especially, you know, the eight for fifteen. Uh, you know, he's been the source of many nightmares for Australian fans. So I can see him, you know, sticking around for a bit longer, but. I think Anderson, you know, 41, isn't it, this weekend? Maybe it's time to pull up stumps. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I mean, it is from a from our perspective, you know, from a from a media perspective, it would be perfect. And and like Harmy said, you know, like you don't deserve to go out with a torn hamstring in against uh, yeah on tour somewhere Sri Lanka next yeah. year in Trent yeah exactly or or in India you know bowling on a on a on a flat low pitch um but i think it would help wouldn't it if you if you had some indication if you if you were just sort of even secretly hankering after days on the golf course and and not doing warm ups <laughs> my, my mind you the, all of those things, warm-ups and, and warm-downs and ice baths and, and all of those things that used to push fast bowlers into retirement in years gone by, Brendan McCullum's kind of done away with all of those now. They don't even play practice games anymore now, you know. Yeah, don't feel off. like having a net, Jimmy? No, no, that's fine. Go to, um, well, the Aussies holes. are like that too. I mean, it's no different in the Aussie camp. They yeah, train a, well, I think they train a bit more, but it's a lot of it's optional now. <laughs> Fascinating, isn't it? Uh, absolutely fascinating. I mean, I, I can honestly go back to the days, it doesn't feel like that long ago, but I suppose, you know, 25, 30 years ago, you know, you, you used to get international teams saying, I cannot believe we're expected to play a test match with only two three-day warm-up games or, or only three warm-up games, you know. And, and now, sort of quarter of a century later, we're, I can't believe, there's a warm-up game. Yeah, <laughs> and we have no training neither, the day before. Neither, no, no, no I, I find it fascinating. Apart from from Manus, yeah, Manus, Ma Manus always has like several hours of throwdowns. Mm. But, but with Anderson, <laughs> what do you mean no trading? Uh, with Anderson and Broad, the only thing about them is they've they've actually been, you know, they are a test case of how you look after, you know, premium athletes by ECB. They pulled them out of white ball cricket what four or five years ago, maybe even longer, and. They haven't, you know, they've just been rolled out for the the, the key matches. So, um, you know, it's a testament to the management that they're still going. But on Warner, on David Warner, okay, well, last thing on the Ashes, I don't know. I just, from the outside, it looks like our selectors are really reticent to make the tough calls on ageing players. I get it, but we saw it with Aaron Finch in the T20 World Cup and we're seeing it here with Warner that, you know, they're reticent to make the tough call. 
which is historically has not always been the case. Mm. Um, you know, that there's there's been some really tough calls made. Um, you know, some of the some of the all time great Australian cricketers have had the tap on the shoulder. And uh, look, you either walk out the door on your 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 own terms, <laughs> so to mm. speak, or or we're gonna drop you. I remember David Boone wanted to go out the end of an Ashes series, didn't he? And uh, it wasn't given that opportunity. And there have been uh, a number of players who've uh, been had the little fateful tap on the shoulder. Um, I, I, it is it is really interesting, and the evidence, statistical evidence, um, for for David Warner to be replaced is I, I would have thought overwhelming. Um, for two years, I mean, he, he made he made 200 at the MCG against South Africa. And I know that it's part of cricket, but he was dropped three times before he got to 21, um, according to the notes on my scorecard <laughs> anyway. Um, and, you know, he he had some he had some good fortune, even with that double hundred at the MCG, he's still averaging 25 over the last couple of years. His record in England was is particularly poor. And so either either it's reflective of a difficulty in making the hard decision. Maybe David Warner's too big a character. Maybe they still believe that, you know, or did believe that there was that one big innings in him that might change the course of the Ashes, like the belief that England have in Zach Crawley. Perhaps that was the case. Or, or maybe it's just that they have so little faith in in the players who could come in to replace him, you know, um, Cameron Bancroft, um, Marcus Harris, who, Marcus Harris. Yeah, exactly. And Marcus Harris scored a couple of hundreds, didn't he? Playing for, for Leicestershire or Gloucestershire. Gloucester. Yeah. Um, Gloucester. So um, the, at some point you, you've got to give him a, a chance. Or do you just wait for David to play out his international career? It's almost like they've gone sort of too far now into the ashes to make a change. Like, I wouldn't, I mean, I don't know if Marsh and Green will be fit, but I wouldn't mind Marsh or Green opening batting with Kawaja and Warner sitting out. And actually, I think if you look at Warner's record in England and look at the way he's done in this ashes, it's actually not too bad considering how he's gone in the past, especially in 2019. But yeah, I think that they went too far into it and. Um, I think they should ax him at the end of this Ashes because whether it would matter how he did against Pakistan, we'll probably still win next year. The fact is that's a, a golden opportunity to give a, a Harris or a Bancroft three tests at home to start to to bed their partnership in. So, yeah, I, I think I, like Bailey, McDonald, so far, they just haven't quite lacked that killer instinct as selectors. And then the pro Warner camp will remind you that uh, of his record in Australia. Mm. I mean, as poor as it is outside of Australia, it's exceptional in Australia. Um, and, uh, you know, is it really true that something like 22 of his 24 test hundreds have come in Australia? Some, something I think it's something extraordinary. Like that. Yeah. Like I think that. he scored yeah. runs. He's averaged pretty well in South Africa. I think he scored a couple of mm. hundreds there. I think he scored maybe 100 in Bangladesh once. That's about it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I just think it's time to move on. It's, it's hard. I thought he'd do better in the Ashes at some point on these pitches. I thought, oh, happy days. You know, if they're going to throw up flat wickets, well, this is perfect for Warner. I mean, uh, but even that hasn't helped. Um, all right, last thing. Um, who do you have? Um, who do you think is the better side, England or Australia? Last question before. Who do you think is the better team? <laughs> I still just slip that in there very casually. <laughs> well, I think England are the better team now, but I think Australia were the better team very too. Diplomatic. You kept no, both fan I mean, bases they, happy. They are. They are. Um, I think. Uh, okay. Uh, well. Okay, I'll I'll straddle the fence properly now and say that England are the better batting team and Australia are the better bowling team. Interesting. I almost go the other way. I think Australia's bowling has gone off the rails and 
Anyway. Yeah, good. I'm not talking about the last test match. Okay, I'm talking good. about over the series. Yeah, I mean, we do, yeah. they do have like a, a million wickets, this bowling attack. All right. Um, I want to wrap this up because, look, what tends to happen in the cricket world is the Ashes just sort of dwarfs all other cricket news while it's going on. Um, but something that's flown under the radar is uh, next year in um, next year in February, South Africa is due to tour New Zealand uh, and play what, two tests and some 50-over games. Is that right? Just a warm-up game and two test matches. It's, yeah. it's a purely World Test Championship tour, so there's no one-day games. And this is every cricket fan's fear right now is the emergence of all these T20 leagues will squeeze out test cricket. And uh, isn't the situation, if I'm understanding, that the SAT 20 league will likely cross over with this test series and there could be a chance that South Africa can't take a full-strength test side to New Zealand. That's the very diluted version of the story. That's that's nicely watered down. You you don't <laughs> make it ramp sound it up like for the me. potential. You, you, yeah, you, you don't make it sound like the catastrophe that it could potentially be. So the SA20... The six teams in the SA20, that's South Africa's domestic uh, 2020 competition, are owned by, all six are owned by IPL franchises, um, all of whom have obviously invested heavily. And part of that investment was an insistence that all of South Africa's players will be available for the duration of the tournament. So you may recall South Africa forfeited an ODI series in Australia in January this year in order for their best players to be available for the inaugural season of the SA20. That contract is non-negotiable. And the IPL franchises, the South African IPL franchises, <laughs> are not, not prepared to compromise on that at all. So it means that, and it's not just South Africa's nationally contracted players, it's, it's all South Africa's players. So the top 30, 40, anybody within sniffing distance of international cricket has a contract in the SA20 and is wow. contractually bound. So it won't be like a, 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 a C-grade team, it'll be an F11. So, so, oh, no, that's right. No, it'll be an under-19 team, captained by Dean Elgar. I mean, Dean Elgar will go over there to drive the, the minibus um, because you know nobody else in the team will be old enough to, <laughs> to drive. I, that's that's potentially how, how bad it, it could be. People have said to me, yes, but, well, in fact, I've written myself that cricket's history is littered with examples of teams taking to the field without some of, even sometimes a handful of their best players, World Series cricket being the most obvious example. But that took, what, seven, eight of Australia's best players out? They still put a very, very serviceable team onto the field. Yeah. Okay. Well, that, that's as close as we yeah as exactly we, we we could get. But yeah. but this potentially, and, and see, so cricket South Africa have now committed to this series, and there's there's no they can't forfeit because they will then be financially liable for the losses incurred by cricket New Zealand New Zealand cricket. Um, so that's going to cost them you know millions of rand, which they can't afford. But they're committed to this. New Zealand cricket can't budge because Australia go there straight after South Africa. So they can't move their schedule. Anyway, South Africa have accepted it. The flights have been paid. But, but that's, um, the, that's the, the T20 squeeze. That's the T20 squeeze. You know, the reason Australia can't move there too is because the IPL is right afterwards. Yeah. So you've got this, you know, force, this, you know, these forces from both sides with lots of money. It's very concerning. I mean, this is every cricket fan's nightmare that you're going to have it's, these... It's not just... Yeah, it's... I mean, the, the, it's not It's not just concerning. It's... It, like, a, it's unresolvable. And the potential consequences, the ramifications of this decision, if South Africa go to down to New Zealand with an under-19 team or, you know, a team of club cricketers to play two test matches, what does that say to the status... What does that do to the status of test cricket in South Africa? Um, the, the, the current generation will be disinclined to, to play test cricket, to commit themselves to test cricket, and future generations will have no inclination whatsoever to, to play test cricket. And worse, South Africa, of course, has been ostracised by, by, by the rest of the world in the past because of apartheid. But 
if I mean the even the IPL is prepared to shave off a few days or weeks of player commitments in order to see them fulfil their international obligations. But the SA20 is now saying absolutely non-negotiable. Everybody must be available. And mm. the, the, the rest of the world would say, hang, hang on, guys, guys, look, it's a test series. You know, we're desperately trying to keep... I mean, all the attention is on the ashes and it makes test cricket takes our attention away from how unhealthy test cricket is around most of the rest of the world. Um, and we've got the World Test Championship. South Africa's commitments have been pared down to the very skeletal basics. They've got, they're playing only two test series in the next cycle of uh, the World Test Championship. They've got six series, three at home, three away, all of them two tests each. And it's the bare bones mm. of, of survival. Now, if they absolutely make a mockery and, and ridicule these two test matches in New Zealand. I believe, and, I, and I've heard from administrators in other countries, that, that ostracisation is a very, very likely wow. um, result of that. You know, it'll be like, well, you know what? If you can't organise yourselves to play two test matches with a half-decent team in order for us to keep the World Chess Championship alive and meaningful... Well then, sod you! Wow, that's huge. I mean, I mean, I knew it was dire. I mean, I'd read, you know, read all the reports and was, but yeah, that that's a really concerning situation. I mean, you know, and what what does that do for New Zealand if they turn up and there's like they're playing an under nineteen team? It's going to no good for Test cricket there either. Um, if you're a clubby though in South Africa, if you're like a thirty year old clubby who's <laughs> gone around the the oval a few times and you know you know you'd be putting your hand up, I'm ready. Give me a cap. <laughs> <laughs> I, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be laughing but but yeah I mean that's that's kind of where we're at you know uh, unless unless the Mumbai Indians are prepared to uh to to wave goodbye to Kahiso Rabada so he can lead mm. the attack you know or the the Durban Super Kings or whoever they are. Sorry, I can't. I'm sorry, I've got my no, names, names, my names right. But, you know, Anrich Norkir. I mean, there isn't... The, there are only three players who've played international cricket who currently don't have an SA20 contract. Dean Elgar, the former captain. Yeah. Um, Keegan Peterson and a guy called Tony DeZorzi, um, who played the last couple of test matches against uh, the West Indies. Now, he, he there's a mini auction in September, so he'll probably get uh, bought at that anyway. Otherwise... Yeah, you, you you are you, you I, you're looking at under nineteens and and I don't know journeymen. Uh, you'd have to put the cricketers out to AB De Villiers and he could play. <laughs> he could still play. He's, he's not that old. Um, well, that's. I mean, is there a resolution? I mean, is that just it? We're going to see. You know, is is, is there? There's no way out of this. This is what's happening. The resolution. The only feasible resolution is South Africa's greatest uh, captain of all time is Graham Smith. Um, he won more test matches as captain than anyone else in the history of test cricket. He is the most influential man in South African cricket and, and, and is the only administrator to command global respect um, in the last 10 years to 12 years in South Africa, which has become increasingly marginalized and irrelevant on an international stage. Graham Smith commands enormous respect. The work that he has done as commissioner of the, S uh, the um, SA20 League uh, has been immense. His relationship with the IPL franchises and the BCCI is the only thing that has kept Cricket South Africa financially alive um, in recent years. Test cricket is what made him. Test cricket formed him as a man and as a cricketer, and he owes it a great deal. He did a lot for Test cricket, and Test cricket did a very, very great deal for him. He's now commissioner of the league which threatens the future of Test cricket in South Africa. The IPL owners have as much interest in the well-being of Cricket South Africa and the proteas as they would have in a book on algebra. <laughs> they have zero mm. interest. Uh, South Africa's clash of fixtures 
is not their business. Their business is in the dollars that they've invested in their franchises around the world and here in South Africa. But the resolution would be for Graham Smith to say to the six franchises, guys, you've got squads of 19. You, there are 19 players in your squad. Many of you have got seven or eight overseas pros. Many of you um, have got a South African international cricketer or three or four. Could you just do without one or two of them? And by the way, there's more chance of the Arctic and the Antarctic regaining their um, ice masses than this happening. You know, there's more chance of global warming reversing than the, but but that that's the only solution, and it won't happen. Oh God! Okay, well, depressing stuff. Um, <laughs> I hope. I mean, you're right. I mean, if if Smith can get in the back rooms with them and try and convince them, I mean, maybe they could say, "Look, we'll let you." more international players in the squad to make up for it for this for this year or something um anyway it's 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 every fear and you know you you speak about south africa's test schedule i mean that was when the futures tours program came out that was the the big thing england india australia plenty of great test cricket everybody else just just you know find a few gaps in the window and play amongst yourselves Exactly. That's exactly right. Um, I know that the you know that the World Test Championship doesn't have massive appeal to England and Australia because they have the Ashes, um, but it, it is still important. You know, Ben Stokes would like to win it very much, and mm. you know, um, India are desperate to to win it. So it does. It is the only thing holding Test cricket together. Without it, um, the game would have like no future whatsoever. It wouldn't even exist in the Caribbean, I don't believe, and, mm-hmm. and in South Africa, um, you know, the, the Asian subcontinent um, has more of an interest and a, and a willingness to, to play test cricket. But without the, the world, uh, 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 without a really meaningful world test championship, the, the format has, has no future outside of of the ashes and and india and test matches against india so if south africa demean it belittle it um in in the way that seems likely um then yeah i'll be looking for a new career oh god don't say that well neil i've kept you for far too long uh, it's been great to have you on the podcast i mean we, we met for the first time in person this last summer when south africa toured and you know you speak about australia's abysmal record in um england well you know south africa had this wonderful you know you were the the, the only happy <laughs> cricket journalist apart from a couple of the indians once or twice to ever leave here with a smile on your face i mean the, the english journalists desperate to get out of here by the end of every ashes whereas you saw three consecutive series wins for South Africa in Australia, only recently spoiled um, by Australia. But uh, you've had a great time touring here. I had a pretty miserable time for 15 years before those three oh, victories. I enjoyed those. Memories. I mean, that was some of my fond- I mean, I, fondest memories. I, I mean, I, there was great hope. The, and remember that South Africa tried for 98 years and 11 tours to win in Australia before that 2008-09 mm. uh, series win. The first um, time after isolation was 93-94, uh, and that finished 1-1. But um, it was downhill thereafter. I was for, at for that next, famous uh, 12 ni- years. 1994 test at the SCG. I, I walked in as a, probably, I was probably only 15, and I'd never seen Australia win a test match in person before. And, you know, I thought, oh, we're only four down. We'll get these runs. And then before <laughs> I know it, Farney de Villiers is running around the outfield. You know, Damien Martin's trudging off. Um, there's, you know, electric cars being, you know, whizzed around by the South Africans and it was a famous victory to South Africa. So, you know, not, not a great day for me, but an amazing test match. And, well, my favourite test match is, um, I, I think always will be, the... 2008 Boxing Day test match um, at the MCG when Dale Steyn made 76. Um, uh, you know, people forget. You look at the scorecard and 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 ch- remind yourself just how far behind 
that test match South Africa were. This is following on, of course, from the fourth innings run chase of 414 at the Wacker uh, to win the first test terrible. match. It's just, just extraordinary. Up? Why did I bring this up? And do you know, do you know, Menas, South Africa hadn't passed the follow-on at the MCG when they lost their seventh wicket. I remember. They it were, was terrible. Who did he bat with? Is it Dumini or Rudolph, one of the left-handers? JP Dumini made 166. Yeah, um, but, yeah, Paul Harris made some runs and, um, and uh, yeah, and Dale Stane made 76. Just... <laughs> just incredible and took 10 wickets in the match oh, good memories for you um, but look good way to end it man it's great to have you on the podcast wonderful stuff with Neil Manthorpe one of the best going around well we'll be back during the Oval Test with daily wraps of the action to so stay tuned for Paul and I uh, during the Oval Test and if you can rate and review the podcast that will be terrific <laughs> This is a Piccolo Podcast production. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.